guest, Rob Douglas, says in the introduction to his new book, Discipleship is not an event, and it is not a program. It's a process and a way of being human. To Rob, being formed by Christ not only involves trying new things, but making sense of life itself through the lens of the gospel. But can it be marked and measured? That question might be enough to spark fear in the hearts of people of faith everywhere. But do our collective practices as a church, things like community worship or Bible study, transform us and form us into more faithful and brave people who live into God's future together? How does the gathering prepare us to scatter better? It should do that because we're literally turning and walking out of a sanctuary or whatever space we gather in for worship. And we walk out to face and greet the world, our neighbors, our community, and beyond. And how does our gathered time prepare us to do that well? Hey, everyone, and welcome back to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Today's episode is part one of my conversation with Rob Douglas, the founding pastor of Lightshine Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Rob's a surfer and a sports fan, and one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He's also the author of the new book, The Missional Disciple-Making Handbook. We talk about our hypothetical sports podcast called Sports Ball, and we discuss that singular hour of the week that often takes place on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m., But we also dream about how we can spend the 167 hours that remain each week and the link between all the time that's given to us. Let's jump right in. Thanks for being here, Rob. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Real honor to be here. You started out a couple different ministries connected with coaching basketball in your local schools. And I'm curious if you would give us a little bit of a picture of why you did it that way instead of just spending all your time within the church building? Excellent question and a fun way to start. Sports ball. I love it. (laughs) Before church planting, I was doing youth ministry and went kind of from doing youth ministry to working on how do we start a church. And I had a really wise coach and the wise coach looked at a position description that I was working on. And I had put like my kind of missional connections and things by contact with the community outside the church. I put it in there, but I put it as the very last thing on my position description. And he like in five minutes sent it back to me and said, Hey, you need to be leading the missional charge for your congregation. Like if they don't see you connecting with folks in the community outside of your church, they're very unlikely to follow. Mm. And so his suggestion was, you need to put that as the very first thing on your job description. And so thinking about that as an individual, how do I as a pastor lead a missional charge? And like, if I'm not doing that type of work and connecting with folks outside the church, we just kind of figured that others were very likely to do that type of work too. So I started coaching. I mean, I coached for years, but I moved into coaching at a public high school here in town which was a really cool opportunity for me to be around the school administrators and kids and families, their parents and the whole basketball community, which is kind of a big deal around here. So yeah, just trying to lead the missional charge. And to be honest, like we're talking sports ball, right? So I have a passion for basketball. So I love the game of basketball and love coaching. And it was a natural fit for me because I love kids and I love basketball 
And so when I was planting, I wanted to retain some like semblance of working with teenagers, right? Because I love teenagers. And I'm like, coaching is the perfect fit for me. And so that's how I got, you know, kind of moved into coaching as a way to do something that I'm passionate about, that I, I love doing, and also stay connected to our local community. I like seeing a little spark of joy in your eyes, Rob. He has a megawatt smile right now on his face thinking Absolutely. about sports ball <laughs> and teenagers, which is not always everyone's top 10 list. Right. Our teenagers, we love you, teenagers, but I know my parents remember not finally my sophomore year of high school. They always say, right. like, that was a really bad year for our family. <laughs> and I think, like, I was great. What are you talking about? But it wasn't a fun year for them. So bless you, Rob. Yeah. Will you explain what you mean by missional? Can we explore that a little bit? It's very familiar to church planters, but it's not something that's often evoked out in mainline churches. Yeah. I mean, just a few things that I think about is, like, we worship ascending God, and we see that kind of theme all the way from Abram and Genesis all the way through our New Testament that we have a God one who scripture talks about as like with Moses coming down to holy ground to rescue and save the Israelites. God have, sends God's self. God yeah. sends God's self. God sends God's son. God sends God's spirit, right? So, I mean, we just have these sending themes all the way throughout scripture and you know then we have of course jesus sending the disciples out in the 70 in luke 10 and it's just a theme that we see running throughout all of scripture and it's something that i think the church has struggled with i think we've lost sight of some of that sending with a little bit of an overemphasis on kind of the gathered stuff that we do as the church in a one-hour worship service, thinking that that's how we kind of turn discipleship into an hour a week or a Bible study added on top of that. And we're missing out on the mission or the purpose of the church, which moves beyond ourselves existing for ourselves or our members to existing for the purpose of mission. In order to do that, we've got to connect better to our local community. So to me, I think of it as Oftentimes we'll gather up in a circle and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Right. Like I'm being dramatic. That's what I but do. Yeah. I think you know oh, what yeah. I mean. Who doesn't want that? Exactly. We did that once, by the way. That actually happened. Yeah, well, I have actually done that also. I, I kind of, I did Kumbaya. Yeah, yeah, somebody did that in our church, another pastor, and we all had to hold hands for like 10 minutes. And it was one of the most uncomfortable <laughs> 10 minutes of my life. But we laugh about it and we talk about it all the time. And so what I like to say is like, if we took that circle where we're all holding hands and we're facing each other in a circle is just to tell everyone like, okay, disconnect your hands and turn around and now reconnect your hands. Missional to me is that. Mm. It's not just the inward facing, but it's outward facing toward our community. And so that's what like I was trying to do with coaching basketball, you know, and it's this is a kind of a sad fact, but when you ask Christians, I think statistically, do you have friends outside of your church or friends that do not identify as Christians? A lot of Christians, in fact, I think it's most Christians, sadly say that the answer is no. And that, oh gosh, to me, that's kind of heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and our churches need to turn the circle around 
and still stay connected to each other, yeah. which is why if we want to hold hands, we can hold hands. I love that image. I think that's a lovely image. And I can just imagine letting go of the hands, turning around, facing the community. But as a community, this gives you permission, Rob, to not hold someone's hand for 10 minutes. But <laughs> thank you. You kind of expand the circle farther and farther. You know, you leave the church parking lot, the fellowship hall, wherever you find yourselves gathered on a regular basis as the church community. And there's space for other people to join. Right. Whether or not they say, I'm a member of Light Shine Church. I'm a member of this community. I self-identify as a Christian, a Presbyterian, whomever. But in all of our identities that we embrace as human beings, we can join that and be intentional about the way we connect with the world and the way we see our either stewardship of the world, toward the world, or our commitment to one another. Right something larger than ourselves yeah i appreciate you giving me permission to not have to hold hands for 10 more minutes yeah um yeah <laughs> you're absolutely right that's perfect yeah well your your basketball coaching which you've done at different levels you did it in public school you've coached high school basketball i think your team is the panthers yes it's a beautiful example of this because you have told me before that you used to be afraid to tell people what your other job was beyond coaching, that you were a pastor. Right. And you were entering into the school hoping no one discovers your secret <laughs> identity. <laughs> but at the same time, you were like, I am a pastor, I am a Christian, and therefore you coached in a different style. Yeah. What are some examples of the ways that that influenced the way that you coach? whether or not people knew you were a pastor. Yeah, that's good. So especially when I was a little bit younger, I was always nervous to tell people what I did because of people's reactions. I mean, I've had some like crazy things where, you know, it's like sometimes I just started saying, gosh, this doesn't go well all the time. And <laughs> if I could just sell insurance to this person, sure. the conversation would be much better. Because I always find myself having to defend like, to give me a chance. Yeah. I might not be what you think I am. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you would just give me like five minutes of your time, you might realize that I might not fit the stereotype that you have in mind. But then some wise people, you know, when I was planting, they were like, hey, this is a growth area for you. You need to own this call that God has placed on your life. And you need to make a switch from being afraid or nervous of telling people what you do to just kind of owning it and then seeing what happens in the conversation. So I was really attempting to make a change at that point in my life and just not be embarrassed by my connection to a very imperfect institution hmm. that we call the church. Yeah. And so I kind of went into when I was coaching in high school, I just decided, hey, everyone's going to find out what I do. So I might as well just kind of rock it and see what happens. So my assistant coach is also a person of faith not from my church, from another church actually in the area. And we both decided when we were going to coach together that we wanted to coach in a different way. And so especially when you get to certain levels of coaching, it's all about, you know, winning. And so we kind of decided, <laughs> hey, we're both followers of Jesus. We want to coach in the way of Jesus, if that could even make any sense to anyone. But things that that meant to us is, well, one, we wanted to teach them how to play basketball and we wanted them to have fun. And I coach girls. And so I have daughters and we learned from coaching young women, 
relationships are huge. It's so important. And it's not all about winning. It's also about being a part of a team and our relationships and friendships and how those things develop. And so we really wanted to prioritize relationships. And that's what we started with. We wanted to model, (laughs) hey, we're followers of Jesus. We want to model that in the way that we walk and the way that we deal with administration and officials. Coaches have terrible adversarial relationships with parents and with officials and sometimes with the school administration. And my assistant coach and I said, hey, we don't want that. We want to have a great relationship with the parents of these kids as well and with our school administrators. We're not going to yell at officials. I never got one technical foul coaching in like 15 years, which is a pretty big deal. I developed friendships with the officials and did it a different way. And when these officials would see me, they would all come up and want to talk to me and shake my hand. And they still do today, even when I see them out in the community, because we did things a different way and they appreciated that. And so one funny story that came out of it, it's not funny necessarily, but it was a surprise to me, is one of my first team she actually approached me and she said, hey, I heard you're starting a church. And I was like, yeah, I am. And she wanted to ask questions about it. So it's like the Luke 10 thing, like looking for people of peace or Mm -hmm. looking for people who extend you hospitality. And this young woman was like, hey, I'm interested in your church. And she said, I'm going to be your first Sunday school teacher. So like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) Like this will ever happen. But now I'm paying attention because God got my attention through Elizabeth. And I said, you know what? These are the breadcrumbs that if you don't follow, you're probably not being faithful. And so as we moved along with our planting team, I followed up with her and said, hey, like, remember that one time you said you wanted to be my first Sunday school teacher? And she's like, yeah, I remember it. And I said, like, were you serious? And she's like, yeah, I'm. I was really serious. I'm really interested. And it turns out that then her whole family came and gave our new church plant a chance. And she did actually teach our first Sunday school class. And then her mom became one of our first three elders. And then her dad was like my surfing buddy. And we surfed on my day off once a week for years and years. And this family just became totally immersed in our lives as friends, but also in the life of our little church that we started. So you can't make a disciple without making a friend, Mm. right? And so that's really important to me. And I talk about this a little bit in the book too, that people are not objects to be discipled. (laughs) They are mutual subjects or friends. Mm. And all we're doing is we're just talking about friend making, you know, and then listening for those folks that ask questions or show some interest in what we're doing ministry wise and just follow those gifts that (laughs) the breadcrumbs that the spirit is dropping. And so I've been trying to practice for myself, paying better attention to those things. So you're mentioning and introducing this idea of ministry with others rather than ministry to or even against others. I mean, a lot of times that's the baggage that not just Christians are dealing with, the world deals with are folks who do ministry against other people. Right. You are describing a process of mutuality instead. Right. 
super important. And I think that's one of the big shifts that we need to make in the church is I think typically in my experience, I've been talking to some other churches about this exact subject matter and they really struggle with it. I mean, this is one of the biggest struggles I'm finding is when I talk about this, they really don't get it. And so the ministry, like you say, against, they can get that. But the shift in doing ministry to or for someone as opposed to with someone is a real challenging concept for folks. And I think it's going to take a lot of thought, discussion, <laughs> prayer, like how do we do that better? Yeah. Because I think when we do ministry to or for, that's honestly wonderful, but that lacks the invitational piece that we were talking about in widening the circle and welcoming new people in. We're having a hard time in the church doing that because we end up looking more like a social service agency if we're doing ministry to or for as opposed to with. And with allows for the possibility of welcoming somebody into our friendship circle or somehow into our church via whatever means like front door or front porch or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. kind of ministry ideas that we might have. Yeah. You know, those prepositions are so important when I think about the transactional nature that can happen in ministry, whereby let's say I'm a church insider, like I'm as insider as it gets. I was baptized at three months old. My parents and grandparents were Presbyterian elders. I have never known a time when I haven't been able to walk into a church service and kind of understand what's happening and how to participate. And I might get the idea if I'm living a life unexamined that I have the things that other people need and that I'm God's sort of transfer of funds. Like God hands things to <laughs> right, me. Right. It flows through me into other people and their life is complete because of that. Right. There's not a process of me being changed at all in relationship with others for the better and influenced. So a, a food pantry, for example, it could take a lot of different forms. It could take the forms of like, oh, we just feel so guilty <laughs> or so thankful either way right. that we've been blessed That's by right. an abundance of more than enough food, money, whatever, clothing. Therefore, we can alleviate our guilt by taking things and giving them to other people mm. who are going to just be so nice and grateful and thank us and just our hearts are filled. The people who come and meet us on the other side of the door of the food pantry are seen as without having certain things until they come through the church. Right. And we give them those things and they're fulfilled and the relationship ends there until the next time the food pantry opens. Right. That's Let me throw excellent. that out to you when we think together about the way that something like that might operate differently. Yeah. There's actually another book that I came across totally by accident and it's by a guy named Douglas Poe Jr. And his book I think is called The Adept Church. And it's a little short book, but what he does is he takes an old, it fits perfectly with what you're saying. He takes an old Howard Thurman metaphor from like the 60s, where Howard Thurman was talking about individual Christians. And he said that we're either swamps, reservoirs, or canals. Mm. So there are these three bodies of water, the swamp sits and stagnates because it focuses on itself. And so what this guy did, by the way, is he took the individual metaphor and he applied it to our churches today. Mm -hmm. 
And so what you're talking about right there fits the reservoir. Our churches have things to give. Mm -hmm. We have resources. We are really good reservoirs. We have stockpiled valuable resources that frankly, a lot of people need. And then we operate by giving those things away. But what he talks about in Thurman was getting at with individual Christians is the canal is a connector and it connects bodies of water, right? And so the connector is always making these connections out in their community. And that means that there's some reciprocity, right? What you're talking about is transformation somehow in our you know, food pantry, if we stick with that example, how are the folks that we're getting to know through that, how are they impacting us? Are we allowing them to have any impact on our lives? Are we listening to them? Are we hearing their stories? How are they impacting us? And are we widening the circle to invite them to participate in any deeper manner with us as individuals or with our churches? And I think that's the difference between the reservoir and the canal in the food pantry idea is not treating somebody like a client, right? who's coming to receive something, but as a person whom we can learn from, who enriches our lives by hearing their story and by welcoming them in some way, should that person want to be welcomed into something deeper than what they're there for. Yeah. If the church is not a distribution center of products or is not a closed community where only certain individuals need apply or walk through the door. What is the purpose in your mind of the church? I'll give you a hint, Rob. You told me a really good answer last time. Was that you talked about meaning making? Yeah, the meaning making thing is super, super important because there are different types of innovation. And the one type of innovation that seems to have been missing is that meaning making. And so like we have product innovation, process innovation, social innovation, internet innovation, all those things are wonderful. And we hope that we could find our churches somewhere on each of those things. We all do that. But there's some thinking on this, that that type of innovation is not going to transform your church. But that fifth innovation of meaning making and helping people make spiritual sense of their lives and of the world, that is super, super critical. And so I think one of the things that we've been missing is if we're going to help people make sense of their lives and of the world kind of through the lens of Jesus, then we're going to have to talk about things that may be difficult to talk about in the church. And this is where we come up against a real rub in the church because Some of those things are very divisive topics in the church. And so we're terrified to talk about them, but we're not doing ourselves any favors because that's what our friends, our family members, our congregation members, people in the community, these are the things they're talking about. That's what's keeping them up at night. That's what they're seeing on the news. Oh my gosh. That's what's across the street in a sign. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're afraid of. Yeah. So if we're not willing to address those things and try to have conversations about them as difficult as that might be, then what we're doing is we're abdicating our role in that meaning-making category, right? So what are people going to do? They're going to go somewhere else to some other entity or a news network or a 
website or a whatever that helps them make spiritual sense of the world and of their lives. And so we kind of just seem like the church is just kind of walking away from this responsibility that we have to help people make spiritual sense of the crazy world that we live in right now, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nuts out there. Yeah. And if we can't do it, who will, right? I mean, plenty of yeah, people will. Yeah, plenty right? of people will. Plenty of organizations. Yeah, they will. But it certainly, in many cases, won't necessarily be through the lens of scripture or the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we want to help people yeah. do that kind of work and work in those innovations of meaning making. Yeah. And that just starts by, we've got to be willing to talk about difficult things. It's really an exciting time and terrifying time and, you know, all of those things to be a part of a collective of folks who want to be intentional about relating to one another, who want to make their lives count for something. And you had this statistic the last time we talked that you mentioned, I've never counted the hours in a week before. I think you said <laughs> that there are 168 hours in a week. Yeah. And that yeah. traditionally, most of us, even Christian, even pastors, we think about that one mega hour of worship. Right. Where the church becomes gathered together and we pay, our, we sort of pay our debts to the divine entity. It's like, here's your hour, Lord. Yeah. And then I will do what I want with 167 other hours of the week. I'm free to do that. I've cashed in or paid my yeah, debt or yeah. whatever the financial, you know, appropriate metaphor is. Yeah. And then I'm good to go. And you lifted up this rhythm of the church gathering and the church scattering and that actually that one hour's place is not to pay our debt to the Lord as if (laughs) the Lord were some entity in need of ego stroking every 168 hour of the week. Like, oh yes, let us pay obeisance to the Lord and walk (laughs) off. But rather that God desires to equip us. And those are the stories that we see in our sacred traditions, people being given something to do something with those things and to leave the special assembly of folks who want to be reflective and consider their lives and believe that they should be doing something for other people, for the world with their time. And that that hour actually equips you to do that. Right. So they're gathered, but for the purpose of being scattered. Yeah, that's good stuff. So I had one funny thing in my book. Just one funny thing. (laughs) Yeah, there was literally one funny thing in the whole book. It didn't end up being as funny as I thought it was because the funny part (laughs) got taken out by the editor. Okay. (laughs) It relates perfectly to what you're saying, right? So we have the two arms of the church, the gathered and scattered arm. Like what we do when we gather together, but just what you said is the scattered time, the 167 hours a week uh, versus the one. And then what we do is we put all of our energy, our resources, financial people, gifts, talents, everything, we pack it all into the one. And so a really fun exercise to do for someone would be like to look at the gifts, financial resources, and all that goes into that hour, and then compare it to what goes into the scattered arm of the church and just see, are those two arms roughly equal or the funny part in the book that got taken out. So I took the gathered arm and I said it was Dwayne Johnson, the rock. Okay. <laughs> I would use like a picture of his mm-hmm. like gigantic bicep. That's the gathered arm. Yeah, that's yeah. the gathered arm. Like we work out that arm. Like we do our bicep curls, man. The church really gets mm-hmm. its work Protein in on powder. that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the whole thing. 
And then I took the scattered arm of the church and I compared it to Sheldon Cooper of the Big Bang Theory (laughs) just to have some fun and say like, okay, like the arms are not even close. They're not in symmetry with each other. And what would it mean for us as the church to kind of work that scattered arm a little bit to at least make them semi imbalanced so that we look like a <laughs> a symmetrical human being. Mm-hmm. So I like I thought that was pretty funny and I gave it to a friend and the friend was like crying when he laughing when he got to that section of my book and then my editor just she's awesome but she did not find that funny at all. <laughs> And she asked me to take it out and I wouldn't do it. And then she just took it out for me. It didn't show up so, in the publish. So now you have the sort of. Yeah, I have like the watered down version of mm-hmm. the not as funny it's version. It's such a good image. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And we care and we, you know, there's so many metaphors that we could use to illustrate how much we tend to and even coddle in some instances or specialize right. or decorate right. that hour while the other atrophies. Yeah, that hour is super important. And I, I, I'm i not trying to say that it's not, but exactly what you said, like how does the gathering prepare us to scatter better? Yeah, It should do that because we're literally turning and walking out of a sanctuary or whatever space we gather in for worship. And we walk out to face and greet the world, our neighbors, our community and beyond. And how does our gathered time prepare us to do that well? Yeah. And so I think that's just a shift in thinking, how might we do that a yeah. little bit better? Friends, we'll be back next week with the second part of my conversation with Rob. Also, be on the lookout for Rob's and my new podcast, Sports Ball. We'll let you know when we launch. But in the meantime, definitely check out Rob's new book, The Missional Disciple Making Handbook at cyclicalpublishing.com. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes from season eight of New Way. We're exploring contemplation, silence, neighborliness, the importance of trying new things, and more with our awesome lineup of guests. Whether you're listening along with a group or prefer to keep these amazing episodes all to yourself and to just let the magic flow through you as you live your life, you can subscribe at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, online at newchurchnewway.org or wherever you do the podcast listening. Thank you for listening to New Way. Our producer is the fabulous Martha Sanders. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Catch you next time.